I'm Barack Obama, candidate for president, and I approve the FOMO podcast. Broadcasting from Brisbane, Australia, this is the FOMO show. Cryptocurrency for the rest of us. the podcast where you'll hear about cryptocurrency in plain English. We'll help you stay across crypto so you don't get the fear of missing out. Today we're going to be talking about a few different things. We're going to go through some news first. Uh, then we'll be moving on to, to the project of the week, um, which is EOS. We're going to be talking about this new blockchain network. Is it a blockchain network? What would you describe it as? I think I'd describe it as a, a completely new blockchain operating system. Think of it like Windows for blockchain. Wow. Yep. So we'll be covering that shortly. And um, we'll go through a few of the tools at the same time. Now, if this is the first time you've come across cryptocurrencies, not to worry, we're going to be covering a number of the basics before we get on to things today. Um, so let's take it away. Okay, first up in this episode, we need to do uh, our retractions and apologies. Uh, we've got we've gone one episode in, mate, and we're already retracting and apologizing for things. <laughs> Um, but look, we understand we told our listeners last week, you guys, that um, we are going to be the podcast for the rest of us, talk in plain language. And then we proceeded to use words like ICO, blockchain, and oh boy, a whole yeah. bunch of other terms. It's true. We didn't explain them. So first of all, our apologies for that. Um, we're very, very sorry. And I want to clear up a couple of terms now. So ICO stands for Initial Coin Offering. And what an initial coin offering is, is essentially a new company coming up with a new idea within the crypto space, offering a token or a coin in exchange for you donating Bitcoin or Ethereum or some other form of cryptocurrency. uh, And they give you this coin in return or this token in return. Now, normally you can take that token, you can trade it on exchanges Mm -hmm. um, or you can uh, hold it. And usually what happens is at the end of their development period, they'll let you cash that token in or use it in some way on their platform that they're Mm. building. So when we say an ICO, it essentially means a new Kickstarter, if you've heard of Kickstarter or GoFundMe or something like that. It's essentially a Kickstarter for the crypto world. Mm. Um, Blockchain and the concepts of blockchain will explain later on in the podcast. Um, But yeah, our sincere apologies... (laughs) Yeah, we'll touch on that shortly. Yeah. So in this week's news, um, we saw uh, Russia was aiming to put in place cryptocurrency regulation by the end of 2017. Now I'm going to go through some. Um, I'm going to go through some excerpts from uh, an article last week in Altcoin Today. Um, so the finance minister Anton Siluanov, um, he said that the Russian government will put cryptocurrency regulation in place by the end of 2017. And uh, according to the article, uh, as of right now, uh, no one has any idea how cryptocurrencies might be regulated in Russia. But um, there is some opposition from the government officials. But th- at the same time, they, you know, there, there are some, the, some of the opposition suggests that uh, rules might be put in place that would be. But the largest uh, Russian online payment processor, WebMoney, began accepting Bitcoin payments some time ago, which suggests that a positive future might be possible, um, considering it is the largest payment processor in Russia. Mm. Um, 
Now, they've been making a lot of waves in the realm of cryptocurrency. Not only has the government established a working group on cryptocurrency regulation, but it also plans to invest in a major mining operation. So there has been a lot of interesting news coming out of Russia in the last few months. So Burger King, uh, you might have heard, began issuing Whopper coins in Russia. So it's a sort of a loyalty card scheme. And basically, if you'd spent $28 US dollars um, worth of, uh, if you'd spent 28 US dollars in the Burger King in Russia, you could get 1,700 Whopper coins. So that would get you a, you know, about a free Whopper burger, which is, you know, not too bad for you know, 28 bucks. And it's an interesting idea. But also, we saw back in June. So, so sorry, with, with the Whopper coin, what, what they're doing is they're not asking you to, buy the Whopper coin, they're giving you the Whopper coin yeah, so every I, time you buy a Whopper. Yeah, so I believe it's when you make a purchase, they'll either give it to you. I'm not sure if it's going to be on the receipt that you get, or but yeah, they'll be giving you the Whopper coins right. for your purchases. So I don't know if there's any sort of trading between people yeah. with Whopper coins. I wonder if that's, is it via like a loyalty card program? Like do they scan their card and they get allocated whopper coins that's or? a good that is a very good question yeah. like maybe there's like a whopper wallet or some sort of what thing? if i'm only someone that likes bacon deluxe i don't like whopper at all oh, that's a very good question well you did mean, uh, bacon deluxe is more expensive than whoppers oh they might be hmm. you might have to spend a bit more than 28 us dollars right <laughs> but, but i think i've read the article as well i think they meant that the whopper coin is just going to be the coin for burger king in general and whatever you buy at burger king you get Whopper coin, is that? Yeah, yeah, so I believe yeah. Any for any dollar spent, you get rewards on that. Right. So um, yeah, we'll see see what happens with that. But I mean, don't see people rushing Time to, to be them. alive. <laughs> um, and yeah, back in June, um, the deputy deputy chief of the Bank of Russia suggested that Russia was looking to develop a national cryptocurrency. They also mentioned they'd be interested in testing transactions between their, uh, Russia and EU nations with that. Which is quite interesting considering it was only, you know, 2016 when the Bank of Russia suggested sending people to jail for using cryptocurrency. Mm. So it's quite a turnaround. But it's, it's about face, isn't it? Yeah. And it's it's not just Russia. There's India. It's it's We've heard from the India Times a couple of days ago, the executive director of the um, central bank in India, the Reserve Bank of India, um, suggested they're looking at creating a fiat-based cryptocurrency issued by the RBI. Just a quick note for all of you guys that aren't familiar with the term fiat. Fiat is a currency that a government declares to be the legal currency, mm-hmm. but it's not backed by physical assets. So, for example, back in the day, people used to trade in gold. Uh, but when paper-based currencies came about, they were still backed by gold. So, essentially, you could trade in your paper money for gold. Mm-hmm. And then there came a time when the government said, no, we're just going to make paper currency the currency you're not going to be able to trade it in for gold anymore, and that's what we call fiat. So you're going to hear us referring to fiat a lot on the show, uh, and essentially, in a nutshell, uh, that's what fiat is. If you're interested in finding out more about how money is created, there's a great clip that comes from the documentary Zeitgeist, and it basically breaks down all of this, the whole monetary system we have, uh, in some pretty fascinating and scary detail. Uh, so we'll put the link to that in the show notes. We'll also put a link to a little clip called, I think it's called The American Dream. Ah, um, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and that that puts it in a slightly different spin as well. I started uh, watching that this afternoon. That was actually pretty good. Um, I'm going to have to finish watching that later on, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a good little, uh, little introduction into 
what some people say goes on behind our monetary systems. <laughs> um, so it's worth a watch. But look, yeah, with with Indian Russia talking about a national cryptocurrency, it, it actually it makes you wonder whether they've been talking about it at the BRICS summit a few weeks ago held in China, uh, and that was where the leaders of the five developing countries, the five big developing countries, met to discuss policy. Mm. And it's it's quite interesting that um, that India are talking about creating a fiat based cryptocurrency. So that suggests that they would, as the Reserve Bank of India, would have the ability to create more of this cryptocurrency of the, of these tokens, or mm. I guess um, this currency when that when they want. Yeah, and that's quite interesting considering it was a few years back where what well, no was it last year or earlier this year where the Prime Minister of India decided to take out the thousand rupee and was it the five hundred rupee notes? There were a couple of different notes that they took out of the circulation, mm. and pretty much just they made an announcement said these are no longer legal tender, and then suddenly you know people are you know were on their train to work or something and they get there and they've been given a pay advance in thousand rupee notes. Suddenly, that's worth nothing. Yeah. So it's quite interesting that they still want to retain the control over it. Yeah. But, um, and it, yeah. it kind of goes against what cryptocurrencies are really trying mm. to do, isn't it? And that's to decentralize, to get away from central mm. banks, to not allow currency to be manipulated as far as you possibly can by these central banks. Um, so we're obviously not huge fans of it. Um, yep. And we really strongly encourage you guys just to look into why crypto was created in the first place, the ideas behind it. Um, go look at the Bitcoin white paper. We'll be talking about Bitcoin a bit later anyway. Um, and make up your own mind. So if your country does decide to issue a fiat-based cryptocurrency, um, you can work out whether you actually want to participate in that or not. Mm. It just sounds like they're creating a digital currency. It doesn't sound like they're... <laughs> it's, it sounds like they've realised that they want in on this. It's something that they're not in on and they want in on it. Mm. Um, and maybe it'll make it easier for them to track some kind of uh, fraud. Mm. Um, who knows? We'll have it to could. keep an eye out on that one. Um, next up is... Um, was is It was an interesting piece of news the other week. Um, well, not the other week. An interesting piece of news last week was the U.S. Treasury Secretary um, warned China um, in a statement, I think it was to Reuters, but um, they warned China that if China doesn't follow the sanctions regime against North Korea, the U.S. would look at um, trying to prevent uh, China from accessing the U.S. and international dollar system. And that is, you know, a scary statement to make. I mean, threatening to remove, to, to make it harder for China to access the U.S. dollar system, it's... It, it may push China towards you know, looking at alternatives pretty fast because, mm. I mean, if you have no access to the, you know, the SWIFT payment system or the, the international banking system, that's quite, it's quite interesting. Mm. But, yeah. yeah, so in, kind of in response to that, I guess, this, this increasingly you know, militant approach by the US to their currency, we've actually saw Venezuela uh, through the week completely detach themselves from US dollars in their oil basket prices. Right. Um, and that came into response in response to what China was talking about with making a Chinese currency-backed oil price. Um, so for those of you that don't know, oil, the way that oil is transacted around the world in, and indexed is based on the US dollar. Uh, so for countries, and it gives them quite a lot of clout with, you know, people viewing dollar as the currency to back things mm -hmm. with. 
So changing that and saying, oh, we're not going to do that anymore, um, it's quite a big deal. Mm, and it yeah. could be a sign of things to come. <laughs> Watch this space. <laughs> Obviously, one of the biggest things we've seen in the last couple of days is that there's more rumours out of China. They're talking about now that there may be a, a complete ban on Chinese cryptocurrency exchanges. So this news came out in the last last uh, last week or so, I believe, mm. but it was it was apparently China had got in touch with all of these Chinese exchanges and told them to cease business by September the fifteenth, I believe. Mm. Now and, and you know, and putting up a notice to the people who use it and all that sort of thing. I I found a list of the you know the top China uh, Chinese um, cryptocurrency exchanges. Went on the news sections, couldn't see a thing. Mm. Like crickets, like absolutely, like I, I couldn't, <laughs> I, I could see nothing about it. So China is li- literally another day, another news story, another load of confusion. I have zero idea of what's going on. I mean, it's I, a- I don't think anyone knows at this point. Um, <laughs> we will be calling Jordan Cronier later on in this podcast. He might know. He's a lovely bloke. Yeah. Um, but yeah, look, the other thing I noticed too is that. A lot of these Chinese exchanges in the last couple of months, they've made a lot of effort to uh, take their operations away from mainland China and they've either gone to Hong Kong or Japan or South Korea. Um, Binance, which is one of the newer exchanges, I was, mm-hmm. I was having a look on there because I was like, I heard these rumours and I thought, well, is it just worth taking the little bit of funds I have as trading funds on that exchange off it? And they put out a press release saying... Essentially, that they they heard the rumours, they saw the writing on the wall, and they've moved their base to, I think they've moved to, yeah, Japan or Seoul in South Korea or Hong Kong or somewhere like that, somewhere where they effectively can keep servicing the rest of the world. Mm. Um, and I think they may have, you know, cut down on Chinese trading or something. But Well, I hope we don't see growth stifled for too long in China because there are going to be so many great opportunities and so many great minds there. Yeah. It's, it's almost a shame to be stifling them at this stage. Yeah, well, I mean, what is promising, though, is we're see- we've seen a big uptick from Japan and mm-hmm. South Korea. Mm-hmm. Um, they've really come into the market with a bang. And I think I think I saw a figure that about 90% of Bitcoin trading at the end of 2016 was Chinese. Wow. Uh, but Japan is now accounting on average for about 45% of the daily volume in Bitcoin. That's a um, huge amount. We need to find out why that is. Well, I don't know whether it's just that all the Chinese people have, have up and left <laughs> and, and moved to Japan while all this silliness <laughs> is going on. But you get crowded. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, it's interesting seeing these new locations spin up, you know, and, and new countries come on board. And mm. um, yeah, look, but as always, you know, China does what China does. So this week, I came across a really awesome tool. It's called Dino Trader. And what it does is it lets you um, find uh, arbitrage opportunities um, amongst the different cryptocurrency exchanges. So, Sorry, Joe, uh, could, just for the listeners, could you explain what arbitrage opportunity is so what that means is you can you can exploit the slight differences in price in the buy in the buy and sell price between one uh, exchange and another um so that you know for example if there's a cryptocurrency out there bitcoin might be let's say let's take bitcoin for example on one exchange people could be um selling it for you know let's let's just take for example 
four thousand dollars and on another exchange they're they're selling them for three thousand eight hundred and ninety a big difference between them but what you could do is you could buy the cryptocurrency on the cheaper exchange and then move to another exchange and sell it for a higher price so what you're doing is you're exploiting the very slight differences in the pricing between the exchanges so um sometimes you can get you know five percent or more in immediate difference in price so you can find these opportunities and immediately make money from them. Now, I personally don't do short-term trading, but it's a really interesting tool and it's really worth having a look at. You can you can find it at, at tools.dinotrader.com and it's free at the moment in a very early development stage, but it basically shows you the different opportunities that are available for arbitrage right now. So it'll show you, you know, right like a, a pretty much real-time price differences between a couple of exchanges so you can buy it slightly cheaper somewhere and slight uh, sell it for slightly more elsewhere so it's an interesting tool check it out at tools.dinotrader.com so where's the where's the money making opportunity for them do they take a cut of the arbitrage or Oh, so to, the, all they do is actually show the show you the opportunities. So um, it just shows you the the different um, real time prices between exchanges, right? And it just shows you okay, this exchange is selling it for you know this much less. Um, so and you can even filter it by the minimal profits. So you could say, oh, I just want to make a minimum five percent profit, and it's just showing me four opportunities where I can make five percent um, return right now assuming the price doesn't switch between now and when i make my trade wow so there are a couple of different trades that you can show the different exchanges is a massive difference in the asking price and the selling prices wow so it's worth taking a look at yeah tools.dinotrader.com now they say it's an alpha version and so you know there may be some some real problems with it um they're only providing public market information and um and yeah do your own research Mm. If you're trading on it, trade quickly because, you know, opportunities can dry up pretty fast, especially, you know, there must be a number of developers who are doing, you know, um, trading automated strategies Mm. with bots based off this. So got to be be careful with that sort of stuff. Obviously, there's also the the other issue that you've got to get your crypto from from one exchange to the other exchange. Um, And normally they'll take a cut. Um, or there'll be a network transfer fee um, when you transfer from one to the other. So you really want to be looking at the more higher margins, as high as you possibly can. Mm, mm. And obviously that's all subject to fluctuations in in the market while Absolutely, you're waiting for yeah. it to come across as So well. you've got to be quick on your feet and yeah, have your assets there ready. So yeah. it's not for everybody, but yeah. it's an interesting, interesting little tool. Oh, that's cool. There's, there's been a whole lot else coming out of China these past couple of weeks, um, including the recent announcement um, that China is apparently going to ban all cryptocurrency exchanges. So we thought we'd go straight to the horse's mouth and get you an on-the-ground account of what that, what's actually going on. We've got some breaking news. So for the latest from China, we're now going to cross live to the Chi- our Chinese correspondent, Jordan Cronier. Jordan, are you there? Hello. Yes, yes, mate. I'm, I'm here, eh? Can you hear me? I can hear you, Jordan. Can you hear me? Oh, great. Yes, I can, mate. Brilliant, Jordan. Well, welcome to the FOMO show. Uh, it's, it's great to have you here again, Jordan. Oh, thanks, mate. 
So, look, Jordan, I understand that you've got some new information for us breaking out of China. Oh, yeah, shocking scenes here from China. You know, the People's uh, Bank of China, I'm, I'm told, has just signed off a ban on all smart contracts on blockchain, effective immediately. Can you tell us exactly how this happened, Jordan? Well, Matt, it appears that somebody within the Chinese cabinet began looking into the smart contract business, and they decided that it would eventually do politicians' jobs better than they could. Um, they were particularly concerned about the immutability and the inability of a smart contract to go back on its word whenever it wished. So they came up with this totally unprecedented and shocking ban. Okay, Jordan, do you have any solid source as to which Chinese cabinet member required the bank to make this proclamation? Oh, no, no, no solid source yet, Matt, but I, I expect that it will become known in the coming days. This is, after all, incredibly, completely incredible news, eh? Yes, you, you've mentioned that, Jordan. Um, do you have any official statements we can give to our listeners? Oh, n- no official statement yet, Matt. You know how it is. These things are done on an ad hoc basis here in the Great Republic. Right, yeah, I, I understand, Jordan. I, I'm, of course, I'm not familiar with the Republic, so I'll take your word for it, but look... Where's this information coming from, Jordan? Oh, so this is this is uh, this is coming from a source deep inside the government. They he leaked the proclamation to us. But you don't have anything in writing. Like I said, this will come. That will come. Eh? This is, after all, the death of cryptocurrency we were talking about here, Matt. It's very serious, eh? Right, uh, Jordan. Can you explain for our listeners how this is different to all the other Chinese bands? They've they've got a track record of. Well, not really eventuating to bans at all. Oh, oh, oh this, is in, this is entirely different, Matt. Uh, this is unlike anything we've ever seen. Trust me, Matt. I'm, I'm here on the ground and I can say it's utter pandemonium. People in the streets, this is going to have an unprecedented effect on the market. Right. And just for our listeners, Jordan, can you explain why that is? Well, the, as you know, Matt, the, the whole cryptocurrency ecosystem is entirely dependent on the Chinese government. I mean, without the Chinese government, what do we really have? Uh, so I, I can't see this choice to ban smart contracts as anything but the most major setback in cryptocurrency in its history. Right. So just to be clear, Jordan, how is this different from the recent ICO ban, which was reported as a complete ban before now looking, I mean, it looks more like a temporary prohibition while new regulations are drafted? Oh, it's totally different, Matt. It's totally different. This will make the ICO ban look like a rap on the knuckles in comparison. And why is that? As I said before, China is the crypto market, Matt. The only thing honestly left to do is panic and pull all of your money out. That's what I'll be telling my readers, and I'd tell anyone listening to your program to do the same. Panic, panic, panic. That's all I can say. As always, Jordan, thank you for your timely and measured insight. Oh, my pleasure, Matt. My pleasure. Good to, good to speak to you. Well, there we go. Straight from the uh, the horse's mouth, Joe. We've, it's always uh, interesting talking to Jordan in China. But shocking stuff. You man. heard it shocking. here first. Pull everything out. But sell, sell. <laughs> Moving on, ICOs of the week. So uh, every, every episode, we want to talk about you know some different uh, tokens or coins that are available. Take a look at you know what they offer, what they're all about, what makes them different, and how you can get into them. So um, this week, um, we're going to be talking about Kexcoin. Yeah. So look, um, a bit about Kexcoin. Kexcoin is a relatively new project. Uh, it's it's a privately issued cryptocurrency that lives on the BitShares network. 
<laughs> we'll actually discuss BitShares a little bit later when we talk about EOS. Um, so we won't explain that now. But this ICO is essentially to raise money for the purchasing of properties in the UK and the United Kingdom. And it's predominantly student housing properties. Mm. Uh, and their, their whole premise is they want to purchase those properties for cash without the legacy banking system and get everyone involved. So the if you buy if you get these Kex coins, what they're going to do is once per quarter on a pre-announced date, Kex coin proposes taking fifty percent of the net profits generated by those properties. They'll all be rentals, right. and using it to buy back as many of the Kex coins that they've issued as they can. Right. Holders of the Kex coins, so everyday people like you and me, they'll offer their Kex coins for sale on the market if they want to, and then. Kex Gill, which is the company doing this, will buy them back, right. starting with the cheapest first. Mm. Once the buyback budget has been exhausted, all Kex coins purchased by the company within that budget will be permanently burned. Wow. So, a quick question here. What is burning for the yeah, so <laughs> Burning, it's kind of what it sounds like. So, burning means that a coin is permanently destroyed. Um, right. So, it means it's taken completely out of the system and you can't ever use it again. And it, what it does is it reduces the total remaining supply and increases the ca- scarcity of the coins that remain. Now, the good thing about right. the crypto systems is that you can actually see when coins have been burned. Um, so, you can see the total... You can look at the blockchain and see when the total supply of coins has gone down. Uh, so, you okay. don't have any doubt whether those coins have been burned or not. And right. if these guys don't burn the coins, it's going to be pretty apparent pretty quickly right. that they're not really right, right. doing what they say they're doing. So that increases the value of all the other Kex exactly. coins that are out there? Exactly, yeah. Right. It's like if you've got $100 nodes and that's all that's in within the system mm-hmm. and you burn five of them, all of a sudden those 95 other nodes right, become right, right. You know, more, yeah. more valuable. Awesome, um, awesome. So the, that's essentially the premise. It's the premise is that lo- the longer the, that you hold onto the coin, the more valuable it should get. Uh, they're proposing a 30-year period for complete maturity, after which those properties that have been bought with the initial coin offering and bought within that 30-year period with the profits, they'll sell them, and 50% of the sale price is going to be distributed to those people that still have Kex coin after 30 wow. years. They're also going to be taking an image of all the holders just after the ICO, and they've got some additional uh, rewards for them. Sorry, what does an image of all the holders mean? Okay, so essentially after this ICO is finished, within 48 hours, they're going to look at the blockchain and they're going to say, these are all the wallet addresses. Okay. Um, and I'll have, to, I'll have to go back to my notes. We'll put the link up in the show notes. They've just announced that they're offering an extra incentive for all the wallets that have Kexcoin in them okay. after 48 hours after the ICO. Wow. Um, so essentially it means, you know, it, it encourages people not to sell them straight away, right, right, but to okay. at least hold on to them for that initial period. Mm. Yeah, so that's an extra benefit. But look, the main benefit is you hold these coins, you can cash them in when you want, um, every once every quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you choose not to cash them in, and have the company buy them back from you, mm-hmm. your coins should theoretically increase in value the longer right. time goes on. Okay. Um, so, um, I know that you, you're a lawyer in another life. So, <laughs> what, do you have any sort of questions, uh, any bits that you sort of picked out about this coin that you have questions about? Yeah, look, so obviously with, with every ICO, especially these days, I think a 
a degree of healthy scepticism is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I'd really encourage you guys, whenever you're looking at an ICO, to be as distrustful as you can. And of the with. people who are promoting it. Exactly. Of everyone involved. Because what they're asking you to do is give your money over with no real assurance that you're actually going to get anything for it mm. in the end. Yeah. Um, so the first question I had is, what's compelling these guys to honour this? You know, if, if, mm. we, if we give, give them all our money... They buy this, these properties. They're, and look, for, for, for information, they're in a pretty established company in the UK. They've been buying and selling property for 30 years okay, um, and renting that out to students. So they, they do have a lot of um, skin in the game. But my question is, what's compelling them to honour it? And so I look through their documents and they've, they do have what's called Articles of Association. Mm-hmm. Um, at least they say they do. Mm-hmm. And what they're saying is in those articles of association, they will compel the directors of the company in 30 years to sell the properties right. then and then give the proceeds back to everyone that's still holding wow. coins. But if the market t- – oh, I guess that's a weird question is what happens if the market tanks in 30 years? And- well, that's the risk. That's a real risk. And, and, and another risk is that you know, you've got these – Articles of association, which are essentially like your constitution, mm-hmm. you know, it's the company's constitution. Right, okay, yeah. Um, and normally you can vote things away by special resolution. So you okay. can say, this doesn't work for us anymore. We're going to vote it out and we're going to do that with all the directors and we don't have to honour that anymore. So my big concern was, well, can they just vote this away? What they're saying is that no, it's going to be what's called a founding provision that can't be altered. So a condition of the, this formation of this company is going to be that no one can alter this founding provision. Right, okay. okay. I haven't seen their documents. I'd really like to see their documents. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find them anywhere, but maybe they're just sitting somewhere on the site that I haven't seen. But the other thing that can give you a little bit more security with, with this project is that they're a well-founded corporation in the UK. They're going to be incorporating in the UK and the UK has quite, like here in Australia, the UK has quite specific corporations laws and those laws require the company to disclose certain documents. Right. So they're going to have to disclose their documents every year. Uh, You'll be able to log into uh, the public database, look through their documents, see that everything is still going above board. Um, and if it's not above board, you'll actually have a corporation that you can make a complaint against right. in the UK, um, which is a lot more than you can say for a lot of the other ICOs I've seen. Mm. Um, the other thing is, too, it's in their best interest to make these coins valuable. Um, they do have a percentage interest in the game. If you go on their website, you can see all the different percentages. Um, so it mm. seems like they're, they're really wanting to dedicate themselves to making sure that they do have a nice big payday for the company mm. in the end. Um, Sounds like a good idea with student housing as well. I mean, that's a good good game to be in. Well, that's right. I mean, there's always going to be a need for student housing, mm-hmm. um, no matter what the market climate is. Um, and the other benefit is that these houses are bought for cash, so they're not encumbered. They don't have a mortgage over right. them. They're going to use these proceeds to buy these houses outright, which means you won't have to worry about, you know, if there is a market crash, losing all your equity mm. um, or having to repay a bank or not meeting payments, um, everything they buy is going to be bought, bought with cash. So are the Kex coins tradable? Yeah, they're, they're tradable on the markets. I think if you are going to buy any, your best case is to wait for at least that 48 hours to start trading them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, they'll be uh, completely tradable 
on the markets so you can trade to your heart's content. Awesome, awesome. And, and I guess we assume that the value is tied to the profitability of the houses? Yeah, look, as far as the value of the coin goes, I think in a way, uh, they're talking about paying rent, about being able to pay rent with Kexcoin for these houses as well. Okay. Um, I've got some question marks around that. Um, I don't know whether the payment of these coins back to Kexcoin, whether they'll be burnt once the rent's paid mm. or whether the Kexcoin company will hold on to them. That's a whole um, spanner in the works. Yeah, because, yeah. I mean, it, potentially you could get a situation where um, they are getting a lot of the coins back via rent payments and gradually increasing their stockpile of coins. Um, mm. And my biggest question is if they stockpile all the coins, essentially that means that they just retain the property at the end. So I'm not sure what the consequences of that are. Right. Um, I'm not sure how that's going to affect the value, but it's, it's interesting. Mm. You know, it'd be really interesting to see how it turns out. Look, the other thing to say is too, is it's a really smart way for the creators of this coin to make money because <laughs> uh, they're, um, they're going to be getting a whole bunch of money to uh, pay for these properties. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to be holding some of these coins themselves. Uh, um, yeah. They're also going to be paying for the coins that are sold with the rent from the properties. So there's an argument that they're not actually losing anything by buying those coins back. Mm. Um, they're just gaining more ownership over those properties in the mm. long run and making their coins more valuable as well. Um, so it's it's I've got to commend them. It's really smart. It's a really smart way for the, the creators to, to make money. But um, on the positive, they do look like a well-organized campaign. They've put a thought to a lot of the issues. They've addressed a lot of them. Uh, in the white paper, I was quite impressed with their white paper. There's a real potential here to make some long-term money um, and also get some skin in the game in the property rental market mm. without all the headaches of having to deal with renters wow. and having to get a mortgage or anything like that. Um, so, look, it's something really interesting to check out. I encourage you guys to check it out. We'll put the link in the show notes. Feel free to to send us any other questions you have about it. We're going to try and reach out to Kexcoin uh, between then and the end of the ICO and, and uh, see if we can secure an interview. Um, and we'll, we'll publish that to the feed. It may not be in an, in an actual episode, but we'll publish that to the feed um, if and when we, we do get a chance to chat to them. Fantastic. So we're going to be doing essentially a blockchain primer um, spread over the next five or so episodes. If you're new to the space, um, this is going to give you a quick background of a lot of what we're talking about and give you some extra things to look at if you're interested. So if you feel like you know all this already, please feel free to skip ahead. Um, We'll have the timestamps in the show notes. Uh, But our hope is that if you know a lot about this but have had trouble sharing it with your friends, these little sessions will give you you some inspiration to have your own discussions. So this week, we'll be going right to the, back to the beginning of where it all began and talking about Bitcoin and the blockchain. Knowing the background of Bitcoin is important to understanding everything else. Um, next week, we're going to touch on Ethereum and smart contracts, which is arguably the second, you know, quote unquote, paradigm shifting invention in the space. So first of all, we'll be talking about the blockchain. So the basis for Bitcoin comes from this concept of the blockchain, and it's a revolutionary way to store transactions in a public record. Now, the concept originates from the idea of a ledger. It's a place where transactions can be stored and documented. 
These ledgers have been used throughout history to record any number of financial transactions. For example, in the ancient medieval times, the English and a lot of other countries used what was called a tally stick, which was it was like a length of timber that you would split in two. You'd keep one after you'd split it, and the person you're transacting with could keep the other. So if Joe wanted to buy 10 sheep from me and I had one cow, mm. we'd both record what we'd purchased from each other. So I'd record that I had 10 sheep and Joe gave me one cow, and Joe would record that he had one cow and he mm. got 10 sheep from me. Right. Um, if there was ever any dispute or doubt about that, we could both bring our little tally sticks, um, which normally matched up because they'd been split from each other, and we'd bring them to the local magistrate for judgment. Right. And he could look at the tally sticks and see if there was any tampering and work out who was in the right and who was in the wrong. So in modern times, ledgers are used almost everywhere in business life. If you've seen a purchase or sale statement in an Excel spreadsheet, you've seen a ledger. The, the tricky thing is that they're internal and you have to trust that the person who made the ledger is trustworthy and hasn't you know, messed the numbers up at all. Um, and the blockchain sought to change that. Its idea was that we record all transactions in a public ledger, like a mag- massive digital tally stick for everyone to see. How does it do this? Well, this is really where the fun starts. So every blockchain relies on there being a number of computers networked together who are sharing information with each other. These network computers, each distinct computer is known as a node. Right. These nodes host the entire ledger, so they can see all of the historical transactions that have come before, and they're the ones that are going to be recording all the transactions that go afterwards. Therefore, if you want to make a transaction, you need to request that from the network nodes. Now, each user, before they can make purchases in a network, they've got to have what's called a public and private keys. Picture your public key like your username. It's what identifies you to the system. Your private key is like your password. You can't request or send anything from the ledger without authorizing or signing it with your password, your your private key. But your password is not recorded on the ledger itself. Now, you might ask, how can the ledger know that I'm me? Does it store my password? The answer to this is not really. This is where the concept of encryption comes in. Encryption is the reason this whole system works, and it's why we refer to the currencies that come from it as cryptocurrencies. Your public key is what is called a hash, a random set of letters and numbers. It's derived from your private key. While your public key is viewable for everyone to see, the only way to unlock your public key on the network and get at whatever currency on the ledger is associated with it is to use your private key. Mm. Now, your private key can be anything, but it's usually recommended to be a really long password. Once this is run through what's called an encryption algorithm, it spits out this hash, this random set of letters and numbers. That's now your username for the network. So your your username is usually derived from your password. As your username is encrypted, no one can transact on the network without their username being unlocked by their password. Very similar to how pretty much everything works now. So how do we send a transaction then? Well, let's say I have a one Bitcoin, which is um, really just an entry in a ledger, and I want to send half a Bitcoin to Matt. Through a program such as a wallet, I enter Matt's public key, or his username, which he's given to me. I then enter 0.5 of a Bitcoin and hit send. 
The wallet will ask me to enter my private key so that my public key can be digitally signed and the request can be marked as valid on the network. That request is then sent to the nodes, those computers we talked about earlier that are all linked together. They receive the amount requested, my public key and the public key I'm sending it to. Because I validated my password to satisfy the mathematical encryption, the system recognises that I have the authority to send using that address. It also checks the balance of my username, which is all stored publicly, to make sure I have the money to send it. Once that's satisfied, that will become a verified transaction. Now, this is where we finally come to the blockchain. The network then bundles my transaction request and data up with a whole bunch of other transactions into a big record or a block and adds that block to the historical record, making another block in a chain of blocks. Voila, this is the blockchain. Now, another way I've heard it described is that you, you picture your transaction as written on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. So you picture it as Matt sends 0.5 Bitcoin to Joe. To make that valid, I put my username on that to mm-hmm. say, so Matt, let's mm-hmm. just say it's Matt. And then I sign that with my password or my signature. Mm-hmm. So the, a little bit of paper would say, Matt sends 0.5 Bitcoin to Joe. Matt underneath and my signature to show that it's from me. Hmm. Now, I put that in a box and then a whole bunch of other people who want to send a whole bunch of other transactions to other people also put similar things in a big box. Right. Once the system recognizes that, yep, it's got who it's sending it from, it's got who it's sending it to, and look, oh, there's a signature down the bottom, it shuts the box up and puts it on a shelf Next to all the other boxes that are gone right. before. Right. So that's like a block in the chain. That's like a block in the chain. And so if you wanted to, we're talking completely physical here. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to go back and check transactions, all you'd have to do is go back and open up a box. Mm-hmm. If you knew around about the time the transaction happened and then rummage through it until you find Matt sends 0.5 Bitcoin to Joe and you go, oh, here it is. And you can see it. And once that box is, you know, in this example, once that box is sealed, nothing can be changed in it? That's right. So, in essence, it's an increasingly long chain of transactions, all publicly viewable, and they're not up for dispute, which means you can verify that you've been paid and by whom. No ifs, no buts, everything is out in the open, completely open and almost impossible to corrupt. So you can begin to see the power in such a system like this. It cuts out the doubt and the middlemen. It decentralizes the transactional system, allowing capital or money to flow freely without interference from borders, government or banks. Most of all, it's transparent. While we've already touched on Bitcoin, we haven't really addressed some of the fundamentals. First and foremost among this is the idea of mining Bitcoin. You see, with the increasing amount of transactions and volumes, there needs to be a way to incentivize people to act as nodes, those computers on the network, recording transactions and making new blocks on the blockchains. So from our box example from before, you need someone to take the box and put it up on the shelf with all the other boxes. Also, if the system is for for a currency like Bitcoin, there needs to be a way for new coins to be minted uh, or new coins to appear in the system. Bitcoin is very elegant in its simple solution. 
So essentially, each new block that's recorded to the blockchain also carries with it a reward of one Bitcoin. It's thought of as payment not only for the effort of the person validating and recording all those transactions, but for making a hash of all that data. So a, a fingerprint of all of that data. So like with our username and password from earlier, the computer wanting to publish the block to the network must also take all of that data and distill it into a set of numbers and letters using a mathematical formula. This formula is generated by the Bitcoin network and a block cannot be published until it generates a hash that satisfies all the conditions set by that formula. This is what we call mining. So all computers in the network compete to solve the problem first. The first computer or pool of computers to successfully solve that problem gets uh, to add the block to the blockchain and receives the Bitcoin as a reward. As the blockchain network expands, the mathematical formula gets more complex to compensate for that expansion. This is what, in Bitcoin terms, they call a difficulty increase. This means that someone can't just build a supercomputer and mine all the Bitcoin at once because the network would automatically realise what was happening and increase the mining difficulty to match the power. Now, all of this seems pretty complex, um, but it has meant that as more people use the network and the price goes up, computer power has scaled to match it. So now huge computer farms are competing with each other to try and mine the blocks first and get the rewards. And to compensate, the difficulty is increased to, in, to make sure that the equation matches the huge amount of computing power involved. But that means if anyone wants to attack the network, they would need to compete with the combined computing power of everyone else. So Bitcoin is very secure as a result. So in summary, Joe, Bitcoin is essentially a distributed ledger, publicly recorded, privately encrypted, set in stone, decentralized, not subject to government or bank tampering, borderless, secured by maths, and one of the safest ways to store value. There are a few cons, however. Um, the, the original system, which was developed in 2008, um, it was, it's slow compared to the newer networks that are out there. And, and, it's de and it's increasingly political and it's subject to some really powerful factions. So there have been a, a number of examples of that recently. Mm. But there is voting power that these um, – it's the nodes, isn't it? They have the, the people who operate the nodes? Yeah. yeah. So essentially the way that Bitcoin works is that if you – the more computers power you have on the network um, the more power you have to make decisions about right, that network right, right. Um, and of course there's a very big vested interest because the people that have the most computing power are normally the people making the most money mm. um, so there's been a lot of complaints about how the people with the most money also have the most power <laughs> mm. um, and look mate that's why we saw Bitcoin Cash um, which is, for those of you guys that don't know, Bitcoin recently had what, what, what's called a fork. And that essentially means that um, Bitcoin split and there became two Bitcoin blockchains. Hmm. Um, so from our box example, like it was kind of like, you know, you had one line of boxes and then all of a sudden there was a fork and there were two lines of boxes. And they were both saying, we're Bitcoin, you know, we're the real hmm. Bitcoin. You know, like, with the real Bitcoin, please stand up and... <laughs> Perfect. And uh, yeah, and so one's called Bitcoin still, and the, that's the one that has more power, mm -hmm. uh, more computers on it, and the other one's called Bitcoin Cash. 
But that came about from months and months and months of just mm. intense political wrangling. And a number of people saying, no, we're not going to move to the other one. And yeah. other people saying, well, the other one's the future. And there was a lot of uncertainty. Yeah. So, yeah, it's increasingly political. And another of the downsides is it uses a huge amount of power via computers that are all around the world that are essentially working on solving these almost pointless problems. Mm. I mean, hundreds and thousands and thousands of people of computers mm. are working towards these problems and only one person gets one person gets the bit well the reward is split amongst the people who are doing the work but it's mm. a huge amount of power that's wasted that- I think I heard recently that it's the equivalent of the city of Los Angeles or something like that don't quote me but <laughs> I heard it was something and it's only getting bigger and bigger and bigger yeah and it's all just to win in a race you know so it's a lot of a lot of wasted effort, but you know that could be spent, you know, folding proteins or doing something that mm. you know, like the Stanford folding at home experiment. Mm. Yeah, you know, something that will just put your computing power to save lives. But mm. yeah, and, and another of the cons is that um, it's reliant on you keeping your keys, your private keys, secure. Um, how is that a con? Yeah. So essentially, if you've got your password, which is your private key, and if you lose your password or you give it to someone else, well, let's deal with losing your password mm-hmm. first. If you lose your password, you can't get into your Bitcoin wallet. And you can't, even without a Bitcoin wallet, you can still get on the Bitcoin blockchain and access your public key and the Bitcoin within it if you've got your private key, which is your password. But if you lose that and you don't know it, there's no way for you to ever get that back. There's no password right. recovery system. Because Bitcoin's decentralized, you can't go to bitcoin.com and say, I've lost my password, please give it to me, because you're the only person with it. So it relies on you being really, 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 really careful with your private key or your password. Right. The other con is, is that if, you, if someone finds out your private key, they can log into your Bitcoin account and they can send all of your money to their Bitcoin account just by having your private key. Um, so you've got to be very, very careful. And so it really puts the, the onus back on you to secure your money and be safe. And we talk about being your own bank, but it comes with a lot of responsibility, mm, being your own bank. Mm, mm. That is true. You can't forget your pin. Good luck. Yikes. And the final sort of big con that we're seeing is that the ledger size, um, the size of the total blockchain, it keeps getting bigger. So with every transaction that's added, it's more data that's getting added to these blocks. Now, you know, if we, if, if if Bitcoin or these cryptocurrency networks start um, transacting the same amount of volume in transactions as Visa or or the Mastercard networks, that's the network. the The size of the entire block is going to grow massively. Not necessarily such a big deal for the end user, but it's all, it's it, it keeps growing the amount of space. But if 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 everybody starts using cryptocurrency, this is going to get into huge amounts of space. Mm. So look, the biggest criticism of Bitcoin and blockchain currencies in general is they're effectively just digital values. You can't go to an ATM and withdraw paper Bitcoin. However, the most sensible response to that is that you can no longer do that with your physical money either. If everyone wanted to go to ATMs and try and withdraw all their money in paper, it would be impossible. Our, our money system is primary, primarily digital already. Mm. 
but controlled by the government, central banks, and financial institutions. Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies take away that middleman and they release currency from central control and give the control effectively to everyone. Mm. So what do we got next time, mate? Well, it's going to be Ethereum and smart contracts next episode. So we hope this has sort of been a, a good overview of, uh, like a, a better overview of Bitcoin and, uh, and and the blockchain and how they work. Now we've covered quite a bit, but um, we'd encourage you to take a look at our website, and we're gonna we're gonna have a, a crypto one hundred and one guide up in the next in the next few weeks. So um, so that we're gonna go through this in in real detail. There are gonna be some diagrams. There's gonna be some link to some links to some good sources and how you can get into buying the cryptocurrency. Mm. So you can look forward to that in the next couple of weeks yeah so next week we'll talk about ethereum and the con- concept of blockchain smart contracts this will be when we'll really start to see the applications of blockchain outside currency you won't want to miss it so if you haven't already please subscribe to the podcast and tell your friends it's time we talked about eos it is time we talked about eos isn't it and so every show we want to be focusing on a different blockchain project um looking at in depth at what it is how it works, what it means, and what it might become. This week, we're looking at EOS, described in its uh, GitHub repository as um, an open source smart contract platform. It's a really interesting idea that basically EOS proposes to be like an operating system on the blockchain. So it wants to provide, built into the operating system, everything that someone would need to build decentralized applications. For those of you familiar with Ethereum, um, this might send, sound quite similar. The difference is the goal of EOS. Ethereum has one big problem, and that is that it charges fees. And actually, almost all cryptocurrency platforms charge fees to transact on the network, mm-hmm. to host things on the network. Uh, there's a lot of fees in, involved in these things. And normally, as the volume goes up and more people use the platform, the fees go up as well. Right. The goal of EOS is that it wants to make a fee-less or as close as it possibly can get to fee-less system. Bitcoin and Ethereum, they've both got scaling issues as well, and EOS wants to solve that too. So, pretty reasonable and achievable set of goals then. <laughs> yeah. um, so, look, firstly, to really understand EOS, what we need to look at is BitShares and Steemit. These two creations are the other two projects from the company that's making EOS, Block One. So what is BitShares? So BitShares in a nutshell is essentially a decentralized exchange. Uh, So it's able to handle tens of thousands of transactions a second. It's got stable assets and user-issued assets. And it's also the first platform to try and develop what they call decentralized companies. So what that means is each employee can hold shares and vote on what happens in the company on the blockchain. That's brilliant. That is really brilliant. Yeah, they had some really revolutionary ideas. I, I think the issue with BitShares is they, they ran into a few pro- problems. Uh, they were a bit ahead of their time, I think. Right. Um, and it, it meant that people kind of discounted them uh, mm. too early. And so it's quite confusing for me, like researching this stuff and looking at BitShares because it's a really good platform. Um, and it can it's really quick. And tens of thousands of transactions a second. Yeah. That's, that's a real volume. It's, you it's don't a lot get... more than Ethereum, you know? Like, it, it, it seems to handle them really, really well. Right. Um, but it just doesn't have the the press. That... And and so what what is Steemit? So Steemit's the other project by Block One, and that came after BitShares. And Steemit essentially took the BitShares 
um, architecture and made a social media platform out of it. Mm. So they essentially made Facebook on BitShares. Um, wow. It's got its own currency called Steam, which can be used by people to tip others for their content. Mm-hmm. Um, some people now actually make a living completely off Steam it, which wow. is pretty cool. Um, and what it does, how it handles this is that each post, like, and comment is essentially a separate transaction. On a blockchain? On the blockchain, right. yeah. So if you hit post or you hit like or you comment or you tip, that's all classified as different transactions. So if I write a blog post and yep. post it to Steam it, that blog post becomes part of the block or part of the blockchain? Correct. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly how it looks on the blockchain. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Steam it is like a user interface to interface directly with the blockchain. Right. But it's really cool in that it's kind of like a block explorer. It's right. kind of like one big block explorer that you can interact with. Ah. Um, so for those of you guys that don't know, a block explorer essentially lets you look at the blockchain and go anywhere in it. Um, you so. can go on websites like uh, blockchain.info. Uh, yeah. It's blockchain.info. And you can see all the transactions that have happened in the last few blocks or explore different transactions from the past. So... It's worth checking out. Yeah. Blockchain.info. We'll put the link in the show notes. So how is EOS taking the lessons from um, BitShares and Steemit? How is how's that working? Yeah, so look what EOS is looking at doing differently is it's seeking to provide accounts, authentication, databases, communication, and scheduling across hundreds of CPU cores or clusters. Right. So any EOS blockchain still needs to produce blocks. Right, so EOS is a way that anybody could build their own blockchain, or is it because it's lets other lets anyone create their own blockchain? So you, for, you know, if you'd had some development skills, you could go out there and create your own Steam it, um, your own sort of social blockchain-based application, and it would be much easier because you're not having to build everything from scratch. Yeah, so look, essentially, what they're doing is that um, they're taking everything they learnt in BitShares and Steemit, and they're saying, we're going to give you not only all the tools we use to do them, but mm-hmm. we're going to make it way better, and then we're going to release that to everyone. Right. And everyone can use all the things we've developed to make whatever they want to make. Right. Um, so, you know... If- so, which sort of things have they, have they developed that are going to be really useful to people who want to build their own blockchains? Yeah, so look, that what EOS is, the EOS software is going to have is going to have the ability to create accounts, send messages, have permission management, like Steemit that we talked about before, but applied to a much broader context. So people are going to be able to make what's called permission hierarchies. Um, essentially, what that means is it means you can make layers of permissions. So you're going to be able to create groups uh, with layers and layers of groups inside those groups. And now that sounds like something really simple, but in a blockchain context, it can be really, really powerful because it means that you can bring a whole bunch of people into one app or one area. Right. And then you can separate them into uh, large groups and then separate them again into smaller groups Hmm. and separate them again into smaller groups and that and give people the power to to make their own groups within that. But you as the person creating that app can determine what tools people are going to have at their disposal, what they're going to be able to do with them, uh, how they're going to be able to interact with other groups. 
um, it's essentially going to give you a lot of the things that are used in current internet-based applications, but transfer that to the blockchain mm. and all the benefits that come with it. Right. Oh, so, so we've got the EOS software. So that's sort of like an infrastructure that you as a developer could go and build your own blockchain-based application without having to know all the nitty-gritty of how it all works. You sort of build on their shoulders. But where does the EOS token come into this? Or how does it... Yeah, so look, first of all, we need to clarify that there's two EOS tokens at the moment. Um, So you've got an... EOS Ethereum token, right. which is what you can currently buy okay. in the ICO. So EOS has an ICO going on right now. It's going on for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, you can it, it happens in 23-hour rounds, and you can essentially send Ethereum to the EOS token sale mm-hmm. and get EOS tokens in return for that. Right. Um, these tokens are Ethereum tokens. They're not going to be on the EOS network when it actually starts. Right. Okay. So, what's going to happen on the EOS network is that EOS are going to have their own tokens. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can call them tokens. You can call them coins. What they essentially are is a a bit of the blockchain that says, I own this much on this blockchain. So, a a percentage of this blockchain. And, And what that will get you on EOS or anything built with EOS is the t- a, a portion of the total computational and storage potential of that blockchain. Right. Um, so it will essentially give you a piece proportionate to the amount of token that you hold okay. of all the computers hosting the or, or a piece of what all the computers on the blockchain can do. Hmm. Um, so, for example, if you hold 1% of the tokens on an EOS blockchain, mm-hmm. you get 1% of the CPU, RAM, and hard drive power right. of the blockchain. Okay. So, uh, do you re- could you rent that out to others? You're that you, Could you rent that computational power out to other people? Yeah. So, if you hold the token, you can, you can definitely say, hey, look, I don't need this, this amount of power, but I'll give it to you for a price. Um, right. That's definitely something that you could do. Okay. And, and what are they... What are they providing? Yeah, so EOS are essentially providing the tools and the architecture. Um, People are going to be able to develop on top of that and have their own blockchains. So whatever the EOS team are going to be able to do, you're going to be able to do as well if you've got the knowledge and the skills. So does that mean if I take a couple online classes, we could create a FOMO coin? (laughs) We probably could. (laughs) You should try and give that a go at some point. Yeah, well, look, the test net's just come up, so we... um we could definitely give that a go. If there's any budding developers out there, we'd love to talk to you when you've got, especially if you've got some spare time. We will, um, we will pay you in um, in the eventual FOMO coins. In the eventual, exactly. You can be you can be the main holder. <laughs> Fantastic. Hashtag not investment advice. <laughs> Hashtag not a security. Um, but yeah, look, they say they're going to be developing additional tools as well. So it's not just going to be the the basic tools they're offering. Um, they're going to keep if what they say is true. Mm-hmm they're going to keep developing this um, into the foreseeable future. Um, And they also might develop something to kind of tie it all together. Um, It's not clear how they're going to do that, but if they're really serious about their claim that they're going to be an operating system, Mm -hmm. kind of like the Windows or Apple iOS of of the blockchain, um, 
then they're really going to need a way to interpret all these different EOS blockchains that, that are out there and all these different programs. Right. So how do they incentivize people to host the network? Yeah, so <laughs> this is something that's still a little bit murky um, as far as what we've seen, but apparently those people hosting the blockchain will need to work that out uh, specifically for their own blockchains. Right. So they're going to need to come up with some other ideas because they can't charge the fees mm. that normally a blockchain charges. Now, the, the first thing to say is these blockchains are going to be what's called delegated proof of stake, which means that if you are a computer or a node mm. on the blockchain and you you open your computer to the network for any period of time, mm-hmm. you will start getting rewards right. for doing that. Okay. Um, and normally that's in the form of a currency. So right? that keeps the network going? Keeps the network going and it gives you some form of payment right. that you can use to to pay for things in that currency that it rewards you with. Right, right, right. Um, you can set a cap for this. So people are going to be able to set their own caps for these blockchains, but it means that it would still make sense to have a native currency for each blockchain. So how does how would governance work with something like EOS? Yeah, so look, this is one of the biggest issues with all the blockchains, um, and it's still a big issue with EOS. Decentralized chains means there needs to be a way for a lot of these people to participate in governance. Their solution is that the power originates with the token holders. So mm. they can, if you hold a token on an EOS blockchain, you can delegate the power to those producing blocks for the chain. Right. So the block producers, they're the people that are actually on the network with their computers securing the network. Right, right. And these block producers have limited power um, on the chain, which can be monitored, to freeze accounts, update defective apps, and propose changes to the whole chain. So the way I think of it, after reading through all this, is that the token holders on the EOS blockchain or on any blockchain are the shareholders mm-hmm. and the block producers or the computers on the network are the management. Right. So like in a company, you've got your shareholders who are the people that actually own their stake in the company and you've mm-hmm. got the managers who are like your CEO and your CFO and mm-hmm. upper level management. Now, if the management refuses to do what the shareholders want, EOS allows the shareholders to vote the management out and choose new management, which I reckon is really good. So it takes a a company perspective and distills it down to a a blockchain. Right. I think what's really tricky for me is I'm still like... So EOS is a way for people to build their own blockchains. That's great. That's software that I can set stuff up with. If I create a blockchain, does that, ha- does that blockchain that I create with the EOS software have to use an EOS token or can it use your own token? Yeah, so it can use your own token. Um, it will still technically be an eos token because right. it's an eos blockchain right but okay let's take an example of the fomo show token yeah got it <laughs> on the fomo show blockchain which we've theoretically spun up from you know this eos software Magical. with our Magical. non-existent programming skills <laughs> that fomo show token would be entirely specific to the fomo show blockchain now, we could decide that everyone who bought an EOS ERC20 or Ethereum token yeah. in the token sale <laughs> in the token sale going on at the moment mm-hmm. 
could bring that token over to our blockchain and say, and we'd exchange one for one. Right. But we could say, no, stuff you all. We're starting a completely new blockchain and Matt's going to get 50% and Joe's going to get 50% yeah. and everyone else is going to have to buy it from us. Except for the developer who gets 5%. That's right. Contact us, tweet us at the underscore firma underscore show if you're interested. <laughs> um, does that make sense? Like- yeah, 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 it does. So, um, so just sort of let me try repeating this to see yeah. if I understand it. So I create a blockchain on the EOS software um, and then I let's say I create the, I call it the FOMO coin is what it is yeah. and then I accept EOS tokens in exchange for that FOMO coin no so my understanding and granted I've only I'm not part of block one uh, but my no. understanding is that we could create a FOMO show blockchain right now spin it off mm-hmm. and we can make whatever rules we want so you've got to remember you've got the management and the shareholders so mm-hmm. we could say that you know Joe and Matt, we each get 45% share holding each. Sounds good. And then um, the developer who helps us do this gets 10%. Now, that would mean, let's just say we made 100 FOMO coins. Right. Okay. And that's all the FOMO coins there is at the start. Mm -hmm. I'd get 45. Mm -hmm. You'd get 45. The developer would get 10. Good on him. He deserves it. That's the tokens. He does deserve it. Hard worker. (laughs) He really put in got to reward your stuff I mean you know? we just stood behind him and told him what to do he did all the work so anyway yeah so there'd be 100 coins yep. um, or tokens mm-hmm. and we wouldn't need to honour any EOS tokens outside of that so we can just say this is our own blockchain using all the EOS tools mm-hmm. and it has our own rules there's 100 coins you know, and then we could start selling them to people if we wanted or just giving them away to people. And as we give them away, we would become less, we would have less of a shareholding in that blockchain. Mm-hmm. So let's say I give five FOMO coins to my wife. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I've suddenly got 40 FOMO coins. She's got five FOMO coins. You've got 45. The developer's got 10. <laughs> she would now have a 5% say in what the management does okay now what the management are they're the computers that are securing this network offering their space and they are the ones that as they sit on the network they're the ones that are getting the new coins right so let's say we've got sam bob and polly who have three computers they're the only three computers on the fomo show network Mm -hmm. um they will get all of the new coins as they're minted. Right, okay. That's my understanding. Um, and so they will have an increasingly large say in what happens simply because they're the ones participating in it. Okay, so, and yeah, and the coins that are minted, those would be, oh, the, those, would be <laughs> those would be FOMO coins? FOMO coins. Right. Correctly. So how does the uh, constitution work in terms of EOS? Yeah, so this is something I'm actually quite excited about because it, it really shows that some some big thought has gone into the overall ramifications of what EOS are doing. And and I think it, it also goes to show just how much the developers are thinking about what could eventually happen with a system like this. Right. So the founding members of the blockchain, so in our hypothetical example, the founding members of the FOMO coin blockchain mm-hmm. could establish a constitution. 
And that's an agreement as to how things are going to work between them, the shareholders, and on the blockchain. So it's essentially going to be the law of the blockchain. And it'll set out how things are going to be enforced, what avenues there'll be for dispute resolution, and everything like that. Now, every transaction that happens on that blockchain needs to have a hash of the constitution, which effectively means that it has a... cryptographic hash of the constitution bundled up into the any contract or transaction. Okay. So if I want to send you five FOMO coins on our theoretical blockchain, that transaction will have a portion of the constitution kind of like a you know the title of the constitution or mm-hmm. in that transaction as a marker and that shows that our intention is to be bound by the rules of the FOMO coin Blockchain. Right. Okay. okay. Um, there's also a mechanism for changing that constitution. So the default mechanism is it requires 17 out of 21 block producers to agree for 60 days as it goes through the tech equivalent of a parliament. Mm. So essentially there's a, there's a mechanism to say, we don't like this or we need to update this. This is how we're going to do it. And that allows the management to make decisions. And remember that... Um, the management are the block producers mm-hmm. and the shareholders are the token holders. Yep. Um, so if the token holders don't like it, they can say, well, we don't like what you're voting for. We're going to vote you out and we're going to put some new management in mm-hmm. and they're going to make a vote on what we want. All right. So it's got a sort of a system of balance almost built in between the, the different interests. Yeah, exactly. And it, it just means that, you know, if, if there's an agree- disagreement down the track about some kind of contract you've signed on the blockchain mm-hmm. um, and someone says, oh, I didn't know I was bound by these rules, that transaction has those rules already built into it and you can show that, no, you are, you're bound by those rules. Right. That was the intention. Okay. Yeah. So where's, what's, the, what's the practical application that we've got, we've got with EOS? Yeah, so <laughs> it's all got to come back to that, doesn't it? The practical application. So feasibly, what I see as the benefits of EOS is that this could effectively be a Windows of blockchain. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. If they do it the right way, I think it could really be the, the next big thing in the blockchain. So the software that all future sort of, well, that a number of the, the, the major future blockchains are built off? Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. What, what, what they're trying to do is create such a powerful toolkit mm-hmm. that people... It won't make sense anymore to build your own blockchain mm. from scratch. Mm. It won't make sense to go to all the effort of programming all the stuff before it mm-hmm. because this technology will be out there for free. Um, it'll be really powerful. It'll have a lot of stuff pre-built into it. And it will mean that you can get your project up and running on the blockchain part of the internet mm-hmm. really quick. Wow. And you can build on that. So I think you considering we have a lot of ICOs now. Yeah. Blimey, in the future if you can build them, you know, run them up quickly in the future that could be that could be wild. Yeah, look it, it could be. Um I thought it's wild now, but yeah. It's wild now. But but the benefit is that it it, it stops. I mean, you know, you and me, somewhat non-technical people, mm-hmm. we know that it's one thing to think of an idea but to actually put it into practice, especially mm. on the blockchain at the moment, is really hard. I mean, mm. I've got half a dozen draft white papers sitting there on my computer <laughs> that I can't put into action because I can't program. 
Mm. At least not in the kind of programming that you need to make a blockchain. But what EOS is proposing to do is saying, we'll do a whole bunch of that for you. We'll put a layer over the top of it that makes it pretty intuitive Mm -hmm. and easy to use. And then you can just take that and, and play with it from there onwards and build up from that. And not only that, but our platform, at least from what they're saying, is going to be a lot more powerful than the current ones that are available uh, to let you do that. Hmm. So where could where could I pick up an EOS token from? Yeah, so look, we, obviously we've got to distinguish again. This is the EOS token on Ethereum that will f- theoretically eventually be traded for an EOS token on the EOS blockchain. Right. So you can go to EOS.io. Um, we'll put the link in the show notes and you just follow the prompts there. It's a little bit complex. So there are some YouTube videos out there. We might put a link to one of them in the show notes as well. As usual, it's buy beware. Um, we really need to stress there's no guarantee this ends up being worth anything. If you go to the EOS white paper, they're very open about the fact that they're not promising anything for investing in this right now. Mm. Um, they're trusting that someone will start an EOS blockchain in the future that you can exchange your Ethereum tokens for at a value of one to one. Right. Yeah. Okay. And are there are there benefits to holding them? Yeah, look, they've actually come out and said they're offering um, free file sharing um, mm. very soon. And I assume that's with the compu- the computers that decide to go on the network. Um, we'll have to see if that eventuates. I guess that's going to be our first real test of whether this actually works or not right. and whether what they're saying is actually feasible. Right. Yeah. And and the, the, the team you're building this, is it for profit or is it not for profit? Yeah, How look, it's it for profit. They're very un- unapologetic about the fact that they're for profit. Um, their company is based in the Caymans. <laughs> um, so, look, like we said before, it really is buy beware. Um the good thing about these guys is they've got a proven track record. Um, they've made some really, really good technology before that they've offered up for free. Dan Larimer, the, the kind of the creator of this, has been pretty open about the fact that he wants to essentially use his technology to, to make people's lives better. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's pretty open about the fact that he thinks this is what he's going to be working on for a very long time to come. Um, so if you trust him, if you trust what's been done beforehand... It could be something worth checking out now. At the very least, we'd recommend go and have a look at the at the white paper, have a look at the website. You don't need to put money into this to see the benefits of this later on, but it it's definitely something worth checking out. And it's a sign of where things are going in the future as well. I mean, if they're making tools to make blockchain easier for everyone, it'll be fascinating to see what's, what people build on top of this and see where they take it. Yeah, I think it's going to, like I said, it, it, it'll break down a lot of those barriers, you know, and let a lot more people get into the space. At least that's what we're thinking. We're going to wrap up the show here. You can find us at FOMO.show. That's uh, FOMO.show. Uh, you can jump on our Slack at FOMOshow.slack.com and follow us on Twitter at the underscore FOMO underscore show. And Facebook at Facebook.com slash the FOMO show. As you know, we're pretty new here, but um, feel free to share this with your friends. Um, We welcome all your feedback, especially on our Slack channel. It gives us us an opportunity to interact directly with you. Uh, We will be starting to look at having guests on the show soon. So if you know any projects that would be interested in getting some exposure, 
please get them to email us at fomoshow at protonmail.com. Also, don't forget to hit subscribe uh, if you haven't already on your podcast program of choice. And yeah, that's it for us here at the FOMO Show. We really appreciate your company. Thanks for joining us. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And as always, remember, no FOMO. so scary oh it's weird it's just, it just like came, just comes just, up and then it was like hey. say to me call remind me to call mum at 10 p.m breaking news cryptocurrency is entirely fraudulent <laughs> great there's the german audience gone <laughs> fantastic guess yeah this from the top <laughs> this week we're taking a look at eos <laughs> Um, <laughs> describe. <laughs> I'm going to start from the top there. <laughs>